0: This is The Bible in Depth with PJ. Join us as we take a deeper look into scriptures and study the Word of God together. Now here is Pastor Jim. Hey everybody, Uh, we're back and it's our Wednesday evening Bible study that goes off into various locations also like YouTube and you can download it as a podcast. And so we hope you're enjoying these. You can even share them with people. Currently, we are studying um, various Psalms, uh, and Old Testament Psalms. There's 150 of them, so we're going to study a few of them as we go along. We don't know how long we'll be in there, but la- we're in Psalm 8 right now. This is the third part. Psalm 8, we broke it into three parts, you believe that or not. But last week, we finished off with, what is man? It was a great question in, in verse 4 of Psalm 8. And we answered that question last week because there's a lot of confusion. What is man? And so we gave you about five or six different biblical truths about what is man, what is mankind. Now, today we're going to take the last part of uh, this book and we are going to look at the reward factor for the follower of Christ because we've been studying this on Sunday mornings currently in our talent series about rewards but we don't go off further into what the rewards actually are, make statements on it. But there are rewards. Now, what I'm going to do today, I'm going to break this Bible study into two halves. The first half is going to focus on who Jesus is in this this, um, psalm. The second half we're going to shift over to Hebrews, and we're going to see how the writer of Hebrews takes it in a little bit different direction, focusing, yes, on Jesus, but on the fact of rewards and things to come. So we're going to go two two directions today. Sound good? That's what we're going to do. So we're going to begin with uh, with verse 5. On this first half we're going to say, it says this, Yet you have made him a little lower than God. And who is him? It's the Son of Man in verse 4. You have made him a little lower than God, um, and you crown him with glory and majesty. Now, David, what he is saying is, David is writing this. He says that the Son of Man, in verse 4, in verse 5 now, he magnifies the Son of Man. The Son of Man is glorified. He's given glory. We glorify God. And um, He calls Him Son of Man. Now, this was uh, something that we find in Scripture and I'm going to show you a little thread. And if you read the Gospels next time, notice how many times Jesus is called the Son of Man or calls Himself the Son of Man. It's a very important title that's given to Him. Now, in Daniel chapter 7, we're going to give you foundationally what this is all about and that'll tell you um, why it really angered the religious leaders of the day uh, as to whenever Jesus called Himself, or people called Him the Son of Man. Watch Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, and it says this, I kept looking in the night visions, <clears throat> and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a Son of Man, interesting, isn't it, was coming, and He came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before Him. And to Him was given dominion, to this Son of Man was given dominion, guys, and glory, and the kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. In other words, it does not end, which will not pass away in His kingdom, is one which will not be destroyed. Those are huge statements about whoever this Son of Man is. That this person is given glory. In other words, God. He's given glory. He's given dominion. He's been a kingdom. He's given power. It never ends. It's eternal. Now, this is a term, Son of Man, that Jesus would use for Himself. And it really angered the religious leaders. Turn to Matthew chapter 24. Watch this. <clears throat> Matthew 24 and verse 30. You know, Jesus just really upset people a lot. It's just, it's, it's comical. But it says, watch what Jesus says here about, it, about his coming. In verse 30 it says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. The sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Now, Jesus says things like this. It really makes the people mad, those religious leaders, because he's he's saying, I'm the guy from Daniel 7, 13, 14. And I'm coming back one day when I'm going to leave them and come back. I am the Son of Man. Now, like I said before, whenever you read the Gospels, just notice how many times he uses Son of Man. He's referring back to Daniel 7, really (laughs) inciting the Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees. Now, back to Psalm 8, he says in Psalm 8, as we, we read already, that he made him a little lower than God. Now, think about that. This is Jesus, the Son of Man. He's made a little lower than God. So, it's positionally, for a time. He has positioned him lower when he came to earth. David's speaking prophetically, when Jesus comes to earth, he'll be a little lower than God. It's humility. Jesus took the position of humility. If you ever want to read more on that and really take a good look at it, do a dissection study, look at Philippians chapter 2, and you really see how Jesus humbled himself to come here and to save us from our sins. You see, it's the position of authority that God, I'm sorry, it's the position of humility that God elevates. God does not elevate positions of arrogance. He elevates positions of authorities because Philippians 2 says, ultimately, that He crowned Him King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now watch, this whole idea of humility is the key to elevation. Watch what Jesus Half-brother says in the letter of James, way at the end of the New Testament, James chapter 4 uh, and verse 10. And it says this. James says, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. Uh, Wow, you know, that really, really goes against the grain, doesn't it? Because you would never think that humility, humbling ourselves, is actually promotion. But in God's economy, which is different because God's economy flips all the scripts, God's economy says promotion is preceded by humility. It's just that simple. Now, I'm a movie guy and Hollywood borrows this from the Bible all the time. This idea of humility is before promotion. And I like the Marvel comic series. I love those guys. And the first Thor movie, remember Thor couldn't, didn't have his hammer. and He, he couldn't get the hammer and he couldn't pull it out there until finally, because his dad saw the arrogance in the boy and the boy needed to be humbled. But finally at the end, when he finally humbles himself, and he realized life is not about him and he's not more important than anybody else and he needs to listen and needs to be teachable. Then and only then when he humbles himself, is his father moved, and here comes that hammer, Thor's hammer, and then he's he's clothed in his Thor garment, and now you're like, yeah, come on, enemy, let's see what happens now. You see, the moment he humbles himself, he is promoted. Listen, friends, the key to relationships, the key to friendships, the key to upward mobility is humility. You know yourself that you don't even like to hang around arrogant people. You don't like to hang around know-it-alls. No one does. It's humility. You don't like to hang around people that can never say sorry and never admit wrong. You like humility. Because humility opens doors. Humility, it elevates people. Humility is the key to fixing broken and fragmented and fractured relationships. Humility. Not an easy thing, though. Now, look at verse 6 of Psalm 8. It says this. <clears throat> you make him, watch the elevation from humility, you make him to rule over, stop, because before it said you made him lower, so he has lowered humility. Now you make him over, up, lower, now oh, over, now he's elevated. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under His feet. So now, because of humility, he's elevated, things are put under him. You notice the pathway right there? Humility always precedes any uh, elevation of position. Now, there's a beautiful illustration of this that you and I need to really remember in our lives as followers of Christ. Since Christ is elevated, he's gone through the path of humility, he's gone through the passion. He's the king of kings and lord of lords, and we are followers of him. We're in his body. We're part of him. Watch this. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Because you need to know what kind of authority that you actually have through Christ and that you can absolutely walk in. This should give you a boost of confidence. This one right here. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20 to 23 says, "...which he brought about in Christ." When He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Is He elevated? Yes. Humility elevates. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Jesus is above it all. And every name that is named, every name, every elevated name on earth or in history, Jesus is above it all. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Now watch this. And he, Jesus, who's elevated, he went through the path of humility, but he's elevated. He put all things, not some things, not partial things, he put all things in subjection. Remember the word subjection? Subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Jesus is elevated above all. He is the head now. Think positionally, the head of the church. Oh, wait now. The church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. So Jesus is the head of the church. Churches, followers of Christ who follow him, who laid down their lives, who say, I believe in Jesus. We're the body. And since we're the body, underneath our feet it are all dominions, all powers, all names. We walk in tremendous spiritual authority. It's an authority transfer. Now I want you to think now. Because he uses the terminology under the feet. That's big. Because if you go back to Genesis, you find the first mention of the Messiah, Jesus, to come. Not the name Jesus, but the first mention of this Redeemer to come. After the fall in Genesis 3, for verse 15, if you're writing it down, it says that he, he, the seed of the woman, he will bruise the serpent's head. And the serpent would bruise this Messiah to come His heel. In other words, positionally, the serpent, Satan, the devil, the adversary, every demon, every power, every authority is under the feet of Jesus, every, every one of them. And since they're under, the Jesus, under Jesus' feet and He's the head and we are the body, guess whose feet they're under? They're under ours. It's a beautiful picture. That's why it says of Joshua, God tells Joshua before he goes in the promised land, wherever your foot treads, it's yours. It's under your feet, it's yours. It's it's yours. You go and you take that thing. You're in the body. Why do you think the disciples, when they came back to Jesus after going out two by two, they came back to give a progress report and they say, even the demons are subject to us in your name because it's an authority transfer You need to understand who you are, wherever you are, wherever you're at. You carry the authority and the power of Jesus Christ living in you. And every demon, every devil, all authorities are under your feet. Do not walk around in fear. Do not be afraid. Because Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. In other words, I'm transferring that authority to you. I like that. I like that a lot. Now, let's go back to Psalm 8, verse 7 says, All sheep, he continues this idea, All sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, what's he saying here? He's just going on to say all these things, are under the feet of Jesus and I love the fact that he says once again how majestic or how excellent is your name he started off in verse 1 and he concludes it again and the word majestic or excellent means great it means mighty it means powerful we follow someone who's great who is mighty and who's powerful and he has conquered sin and he has conquered death and now he is the head of of the church body, we are the body followers of Christ, and under our feet are all other so-called authorities and powers and dominions. Never forget it. Never forget. It. Now, let me give you the other slant. Here's the other side of where I want to go. It's about rewards, and we um, at this time at this time we've been in this series on Sunday morning on the talents and. We're talking, to one section was about rewards, but now I want to give you a little more. We all like rewards. Every one of us. You like a bonus? You like to be rewarded for hard work? You like rewards. Everybody does. Now, let me take you back. Um, if you are with us on Sundays, let me show you a few things from Sunday really quick, just to confirm these thing. Look at Matthew chapter uh, 25. <clears throat> Matthew 25. This is, uh, if you're following on Sunday, this is very familiar to you right now. Matthew 25, he says this to the man who comes back and doubles and does something with what's been given him by the boss. Verse uh, 21 says, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. So you get put in charge when you actually do something with the gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given you. You're put in charge. That's a good thing. Watch this because we coupled it with Luke chapter 19. In Luke 19, uh, Luke writes um, in verse 17, he writes this. Similar story, not the same story, but similar. But watch, he expounds on the rewards deal. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing. You are to be in authority over ten cities. What? Now we find that there is not just more responsibility, but specifically, we will be occupying positions of authority over cities if we have served the will of God, served Jesus on planet Earth in this life. That's the big if. This is not a salvation issue. If you're you're a follower of Christ, you put your faith in Him, you're saved. But now the flip side of that, after you're saved, what are you going to do for Jesus who's done all these things for you? Will you do anything? Because you're going to stand before Him one day, not about salvation, but about what you did with your life. Now, let me delve into this. Because the writer of Psalm 8, um, well, let me say it this way. The writer of Hebrews He borrows Psalm 8 to make certain points. And these are the things I want to bring out to expand the idea of authority over cities to you and I today. Now, it's interesting to me. In Hebrews chapter 2, it's a very, very interesting set of uh, words uh, that uh, the writer writes as soon as I get there. Now, in Hebrews chapter 2, <clears throat> I'm going to read verses 5 through 9. It says, "For he did not subject to angels the world to come." That's a huge line right there concerning which we are speaking. But one has testified somewhere saying, now he's going to quote it, Psalm 8. What is man that you remember Him, or the Son of Man, that you are concerned about Him. You have made Him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned Him with glory and honor, and have appointed Him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under His feet. Now, he quotes that. Now, read on. For in subjecting all things to Him, He left nothing that is not subject to Him. But now, we do not yet see all things subjected to Him. We don't see all yet what's coming. But we do see Him, Jesus, who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, He might taste death, for everyone, okay. <clears throat> Here it is. Jesus came and conquered sin and death for us. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad it's all washed away? Aren't you glad that when this body gives out, you're going to live forever in eternity with Jesus? You know, have a, an an immortal, incorruptible body that will never give out. Aren't you glad? See, Jesus is the only one who could do that. There's no one else who could do that. There was no other way. He's called the last Adam. Why is he called the last Adam and not the second Adam? Because he was the last hope. There's no other way to save mankind. Because the first Adam, he lost it. But the last Adam, Jesus Christ comes and he does it. And he saves us. Now, I'm a movie guy. And I like the movie Tombstone. And there's that great scene near the end when they're trying to wipe out the cowboys and Doc Holliday's in that hospital because, you know, he's got tuberculosis. He's, he's not going to live much longer. And in history, he didn't live. He died in his 30s. He's a good friend of Wyatt Earp. And um, I'm sorry, he's not in the hospital. He's at Charlton Heston's house. Sorry about that. That's later in the movie. He's at Charlton Heston's house. And he's sick. At least he's pretending to be real sick. And Wyatt's called out, um, been called out by Johnny Ringo, this fast gun, to come and fight. And Wyatt says, "I'll be there." And then Wyatt comes to his senses, and he realizes. He tells Doc, "I can't win, can I?" He goes, "No, you can't. You can't beat him." And Wyatt, kind of like just, yeah. You know, And then he asks Wyatt, what's it like to wear that badge? (laughs) And so he gives it to him. And the movie progresses. And Johnny Ringo's out there waiting where he told Wyatt he'd be. Johnny Ringo sees Wyatt walking up, but it's not Wyatt. It's Doc Holliday. And Doc Holliday's there to fight for Wyatt. Because Doc Holliday's the fastest. Johnny Greenland's not going to fight, but Doc Holliday shows him the badge. He goes, okay, okay. And sure enough, he says, say when. And he says, say when. The game's on, man. And Doc Holliday takes him out. kills him. And he saves Wyatt's life. Wyatt gets to live. Listen, friends. Wyatt couldn't win the fight. White would have died that day. But somebody had to come, namely Doc Holliday, and fight for him. Somebody was a faster, quicker gun, who could win the battle against the evil. And that was Doc Holliday. When Jesus Christ came to earth, he fought the battle. He fought the battle that you and I couldn't win. We would have lost, there's no doubt. We would have died in our sins, condemned to an eternity in hell. But Jesus stepped in. Jesus stepped in, and he won the fight for us. He rose from the dead to give you life. Now, watch this. Watch this. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6, I want to tie some things together. It says, And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, <clears throat> he says, Let all the the angels of God worship him. When Jesus came into the world, this is the first coming of Jesus Christ. He comes into the world. Firstborn means highest born. It's a position of rank. That's what it means. Now, firstborn. that's, That's first coming. Now watch this. Hebrews 2 verse 5. It says, For he did not subject to angels the world to come, concerning which we are speaking. Wait a minute. Jesus comes into the world, first coming. But here, we find there's a world to come. There's a second coming. There's a world that we live in now, but there's a world to come. Well, that's interesting terminology right there, is it not? That there's something beyond the world that we live in that is coming. And the word world there literally means a ha- a uh, uh, habitable place a place that you can dwell that you can live in see the first coming is a habitable place it's this world but another world's coming another setup is coming <clears throat> that world to come is when Jesus comes in the millennial and the eternity and eternity in the new jerusalem it's a, it's another place that we that we that we live in but here's the thing in that world to come you got to see what it said in verse 5 This is the reward. This is where it all comes together. This is why you serve Jesus Christ, or a reason why. He said in verse 5, He says, He did not subject to angels the world to come. What? What does that mean? Angels aren't going to be in charge in the world to come. We're going to be in charge. Watch what the angels' role are, because he says it, back up some verses to chapter 1 verse 14 of Hebrews, it says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service? Now angels are, angels are sent out to serve somebody. Service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. Who inherits salvation? You and I, we put our faith in Jesus. They've been sent to minister to us. But the world to come is not subject to them. It is subject to us. What does that mean? we got to put it all together. What's he saying? What's he telling us? It means that in the millennial reign and in eternity in the New Jerusalem, but in the millennial reign, the world to come, angels will not be in charge. They're not going to be the shot callers. They'll be our assistants. They're ministering to us. We will be the ones who occupy the place of government authority, depending on whether you serve God in this world now with your life. See, what you do now really, really matters. It really matters. And like I said on Sunday, somebody's going to say, Well, I don't really care about rewards. You will when you stand before Jesus Christ. And He looks you right in the eyes and He says, why didn't you do anything for me with your life? Why not? I did all these things for you and you just didn't want to do anything? He's going to be looking in our face. and He's going to be asking us that. See, it really matters. It really matters that we serve God with our gifts and our talents and our abilities. Because in the world to come, the people that serve God with their gifts, talents, and abilities... That world to come will be subject to them. They will hold the places of authority. They will be in the positions of high government. You see, eternity is the great equalizer. It flips the script. And so, I just pray that this motivates you to begin serving somewhere. Volunteer. Do something for Jesus Christ. And nothing is too insignificant to do. Well, I'm going to pause right there today. And I'm going to leave you there. And we'll pick it up next time in a different song. All right? So God bless you. And we'll talk to you later. Thank you for joining us. If you have any questions or need prayer, please send us an email to hello at NBCC.com. We'd love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and take a second to rate it. Until then, we'll see you next time.